So I want to begin this morning uh, by saying happy Father's Day to all the fathers. Got to let you know, hey, man, we appreciate you. We're celebrating dads today. Want to encourage you today. So happy Father's Day to fathers who are present, who are watching us via live stream. We want you to have a blessed and strong day in the Lord as we celebrate our day. Amen. And so we're going to have some fun, kick back and relax and enjoy Father's Day. All right. Uh, don't do too much. This morning, we're going to be in Psalms 23. Psalms 23, we're concluding Psalms 23. We're going to use that text, though, in a unique way to demonstrate how it is applicable to fathers, how it's applicable to fathers. And as I do every week, I ask you to text or tweet or post something from the service. We want you to share with someone that we are here at 5401 Shadowban Place in the Woodlands sharing Jesus Christ and making him known. So we want you to share, share something from the service. And Psalms 23 is our text. We've been looking at this text for the last three weeks, this, and we're going to culminate today. But I want to make certain that we are always sharing something and letting people know about the word of God. And so we have an impact fact. We're going to have some verses and just something. We want you to make certain that you text, tweet, or post it and let other people know that you were here, uh, that you listened via live stream. Uh, we want to make sure we keep you connected uh, via the word of God. I selected Psalms 23 because I'm convinced that Psalms 23, we talk about the Lord being our shepherd. And in that text, as the Lord shepherd us, I'm convinced the father has been divinely ordained to be the shepherd of the family. And so as the Lord shepherds him and shepherds the entire family, he expects the father to be the shepherd of that family. And so I want to show you how those two mirror one another. And how God expects fathers to be leaders, to be the ones who are providing guidance to a family, just as he provides guidance to us. As we reside under the covering of God, the family also resides under the covering of that father. And so I want to make some of these very, very plain to you, but I'm going to take my time by way of introduction. I want to show you some things also, especially as it relates to fathers this morning. Uh, Psalms 23 is our text. Would you please stand with me this morning? We're going to read Psalms 23. Many of us probably can quote it from memory. Uh, I picked Psalms 23 because I felt like it was something that's really uh, relatable. It's something that's very familiar to us. Uh, I wanted a passage uh, that we would all just re that resonate with us. And I want you to feel a personal affinity toward it. And that's why I picked Psalms 23. Uh, let's read it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Yea, uh, he guide me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou prepareth the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointeth my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. You may be seated. Father God, we love you. We thank you for today. And we thank you, Father, for your mercy, for your grace, for your compassion, for your kindness. And Lord God, we ask right now as we look into your word that you guide us and that you be with us. And that, Lord, you give us insight, revelation, and knowledge into your word that our lives may be transformed and our lives may be renewed in you. We love you. We thank you. We ask it all in the mighty, majestic name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. <clears throat> I want to begin by noting that it is imperative that we understand that fathers come from God. 
that in the book of Genesis, we see that God is the one who instituted fatherhood and ordained fathers to serve in the office that they serve in. The Hebrew term there, Ab, for father, is given and it describes the man who is created first by God. God creates him from the ground, from the Adamah, from the soil. He creates Adam and he breathes the nephesh, the breath of life into Adam as the being. So often we hear people say that everyone comes from the woman, but that is not true. Everybody comes from the man because Adam was created first and Eve was taken from Adam. And so we all have our origin in the man, in the father. And we have to understand something else, and I want us to make certain that we don't miss this. That the father, the office he serves in, is divinely ordained by God. God has placed this office. He has placed the man in that office, and he has given certain blessings as well as responsibilities that encompass the office of being father. And so we need to understand that. We all are descendants of Adam. We all are his progeny. And once we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, irrespective of our ethnicity or our economic background, we become one in spirit, one in Lord, one in faith, one in baptism, according to Ephesians chapter 4 and following. So it's important that we see that, that God is the one who has placed us here and he has called us to be fathers and we have that responsibility. It's difficult on Father's Day to preach about fathers because so many of us have an eclectic background when it comes to fatherhood. All of us originate from various contexts. I'm certain there are people who are sitting here and watching via live stream. You may never have known your father. And so when you think about Father's Day, when we celebrate Father's Day, Father Day Father's Day leave a kind of sour or bitter taste in your mouth. There's others who may have said, I knew my father, but my father was never really involved in my life. And if your father was not involved in your life, though you knew him, you knew he exists, that equally can leave a bitter taste in your mouth. You question, is a father really necessary? What do they really add? Because my father showed me a horrible example. Others, maybe you say, my father was there, my mom and my father were married. And though he was there, he was indifferent, emotionally detached. And so you too equally may not have a stellar or a great view of your father. And fatherhood to you means something also indifferent, not concerned, downright inactive. But then again, there are people here you have glowing and wonderful imageries and memories of your father. Your father was there, married to your mom, grew up there in the home together. And you have great memories. And you appreciate, you celebrate, and you honor your father. 
but everybody that is not their experience. And so on Father's Day, to try to preach and try to proclaim what fatherhood is and really create that imagery is quite difficult because we all have varied experiences. Two things for sure. One, no matter what your experience was, you may still have a negative critique of your father. You can look at his life and you can say he was deficient here, he was deficient there, and he was also deficient in this other category. That could be a possibility. But the other thing is this. I want us to recognize that earthly fathers, we have to give them room to be human. We have to give them room to be human because the reality is, is that there's no manual that lets you know exactly how to be a father. I want to make it a little bit more personable as we go through this text because I want to show you some things here that I think have to be addressed. Often uncomfortable to say and to address, but nevertheless need to be addressed. I'm convinced in the black community that black fathers get a bad rap. So often black fathers are seen as the lowest rung on the ladder. They are the ones who have been projected and have been cast as being away from their families and abandoning their families. That they don't take the responsibility and ownership like they should. But I'm here to proclaim today that I know many black fathers who are taking care of their children, loving their wives, being responsible. They are the watchmen on the wall. They are manning their posts and they deserve to be honored and appreciated today on Father's Day. So often, we listen to the narrative and it's going to be proclaimed throughout the United States today from many pulpits. You're going to hear the statistics. Kids who grow up without a father five times, six times more likely to commit a crime. Truancy and things of that nature. Not ten times more likely to drop out of school if the father is not there. Twenty-two times more likely to go to prison to engage in promiscuity and to participate in activities going to derail their path to success. And all of those numbers are pretty much accurate in some regards. But you can't see those numbers in isolation just to one community of people. And you can't just only look at the black community and see those. We have to look at the world over because you have to understand that whether you be black Anglo, Hispanic, Asian, whatever your ethnicity. The reality is, is that all of us have committed sin and we all fall short of the glory of God. And it's troubling to me because I feel that there is an effort for some reason to only to shine the light on the sins and the, shall I say, shortcomings of many black fathers. And the reality is, is there are shortcomings in every sector of our society because of one word, sin. The Bible is clear on that. And so this morning, I want to encourage fathers, all fathers, but especially black fathers, because I feel like there is a constant barrage of attacks on the black father. And I feel like it's our responsibility to uplift them with the word of God because the word of God uplifts all people and brings them out of their plight. God is a loving father and he does that. 
That's why he instituted it and he showed us these things. And so you have to see it from the biblical perspective. Oftentimes when we look at this and stay with me, I'm going somewhere. We come into Psalms 23 and I know somebody say, where is he going? Just stay with me. Just ride. Enjoy the view. We get in there. We get in there. When it comes to looking at the issues, especially in the community, in the black community, we see these statistics and we see these numbers and the things that we call crimes. They're there. But if you look in every community, there's crime. 1939, Edwin Sutherland noted that there are crimes that are called white-collar crimes. And when he named them, he says, these are crimes that are committed by persons of what we call respectability or high status, social status that is, in the course of their occupation. He, being a sociologist, says that we label those crimes they commit white-collar crimes because they are not violent. They're called non-violent crimes. But nevertheless, they're just as egregious, just as impactful to families, and oftentimes they are more impactful because they affect more families with their offenses. As I was looking at that, I thought about the importance of us understanding and being able to decipher and think beyond what our world tries to portray as a crime and as sin. Because when it comes to God, anything that violates his holy word is an offense to him and is sin and he's not pleased with it. But the world wants to keep our mind entrapped and engaged in things and keep us only looking from a myopic perspective at certain things. I think Carter Godwin Woodson gets it right. In his book, The Miseducation of the Negro, he says this, and I want to read this to you. He says, if you can control a man's thinking, you do not have to worry about his action. When you determine what a man shall think, you do not have to concern yourself about what he will do. If you make a man feel that he is inferior, you do not have to compel him to accept an inferior status, for he will seek it himself. If you make a man think that he is justly an outcast, you do not have to order him to the back door. He will go without being told, and if there is no back door, his very nature will demand one. Now I'm convinced that all of us God has placed his sweet spirit. We are created in the Selim Damut. The Hebrew talks about the image and likeness of God. And therefore, all of us are on equal par before God. He loves us all equally. But we can't let the world change and alter our image and make us think that we are not valued in his sight. Here it is. When you think about white collar crime, I said, look across the spectrum at the crimes that are committed. We look and we see drug use. We look and we see grand larceny. We see theft. We see murder. All of these things that are so glaring at us. But what about money laundering? What about corporate fraud? What about when we embezzle money? Bank of America. They contributed so significantly to the financial crisis, the housing market in 2008, all that they did. But we don't often think about them when we think about crime. But it is crime. Think about how many people 
who invested so much in their homes and thought that that was going to be their nest egg. They lost it all. Families decimated by that. Wachovia Bank, $380 billion in money laundering. Think about how many families were impacted by their money laundering. What about bankruptcy fraud? People filing bankruptcy and leaving people holding expenses after they have provided goods and services. This is criminal activity equally. But oftentimes it gets the wink and the nod because it goes under the banner of white collar crimes. What about bribery? Some of the known cases like Kellogg, Brown and Root known for bribing and trying to get government contracts and, and paying off leaders of country. Why? In order to gain access and an advantage, they had to pay fines up to $402 million. Siemens AG, Bay Systems, Kerry Kahn and Mike Alexander also received kickbacks and payments, bribery. But oftentimes, these things don't receive the same coverage and they're not considered thugs, hoodlums, and as egregious. But the effect and the impact of their actions are just as egregious. I could tell Lucent, and we could go on and on. I like what Troy Siegel has to say when he makes his, and he writes about the difference between bribery and lobbying. He says, critics of lobbying suggest that it's just bribery in a suit. We let lobbyists go to Washington, D.C., and they lobby on behalf of their constituents. But basically, all of they're doing is bribing people to vote, bribing people to get legislation passed so they can ply their trades. But nobody sees that as thuggery and criminal activity. It gets the wink and the nod as acceptable behavior, but it is just as egregious, just as damning to families as anything else. What about some of the people who commit these crimes? I'm certain the problem, reason why they committed these crimes is because they were not born to a good family. Their dad wasn't there and they had nobody to tell them they love them. Kenneth Lay. Kenneth Lay, you remember him. Son of a Baptist preacher. But it didn't stop him from all of his deceptive practice with Enron. Alan Stanford, you know him right here locally, here in the Houston area, financier, a $7 billion Ponzi scheme that decimated people's in retirements accounts, their investments, and they still haven't recovered from that, many of them. Bernie Ebers, he was there in the good state of Mississippi, had parents deeply religious, and all of these people come from two-parent homes, had good godly advice, good godly rearing, but it still did not deter them from doing wicked and perverse activities. What about Bernie Madoff? Both parents there raised him, but it did not stop him from having one of the most egregious, most horrific financial scandals in the history of the United States of America. How many people committed suicide? How many families lost their life savings? How many children 
could not attend college. How many people had to find employment, had to sell their homes, lives completely ruined because of these actions. And it was not because they didn't have a father, not because they didn't have a mother. It was because they made a decision to do wicked and perverse things. That is why I say to us all, the reason why we have crime, dropout rates, prison, is because the hearts of men is evil. John 3.19, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light. Psalms 23 shows us that God has a solution for the darkness in our world. Anybody glad that God has a solution? Because if you just took my introduction alone, you might want to go out and get you a drink after you left here. Because it's pretty sad and depressing. But let me tell you something. Stay with me because I have something we're going to celebrate about right here. Psalms 23 is a beautiful psalm. Why is it so beautiful? Because the psalm gives us encouragement and it gives us the hope to let us know that many of us do fall in the first three categories. Fathers weren't there, absent, indifferent, didn't provide for us. But God lets us know that he is truly our father who provides everything that we need. Earthly fathers may fail us, but he says, when my father and my mother fail me, the Lord is there to pick me up. He is there to guide me. He is there to deliver me. He sustains me because he is truly the ultimate father. Oh, I like this. Psalms 23 is a beautiful psalm. And in the first week, we looked at the fact that the Lord is our shepherd. Anybody know that the Lord is your shepherd? Yeah, I like that. The Lord is the shepherd. He's the one who cares and covers us. The psalmist is writing this because the Lord has been shepherding him as he has been going through his life. And so in the first part, he's going to talk about here how the Lord shepherds him. The Lord cares for him. He used the metaphor of the shepherd because he has been a shepherd. But I'm convinced not only is the Lord our shepherd, also, the Lord has placed fathers in the capacity of the family to shepherd the family. He says, because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, leaving the still waters. That's the Lord shepherding us, and he cares for us. But after he cares for us, I like the fact that the Lord comes in and he comforts us. Anybody ever now and then you need a little comfort? That's what God does. He says, he restores my soul. In verse three, why does he do that? Because God understands as we live in life, in time, life has a way of beating us up. It has a way of extracting the joy that we have. Sometimes make us bitter, not have the love. Take away the kindness. Make us not want to be compassionate. Make us forget about forgiving. We don't even want to consider being faithful. Don't want to have self-control. And when we find ourselves depleted, the psalmist says, I have a shepherd. I have a God who comes in and he restores. He pours back into my depleted soul. He restores my soul. Anybody ever had God to restore their soul? Let me tell you something. God will restore your soul. Why does he restore? Because he's a shepherd. I'm convinced that in similar fashion, God has placed fathers in the life of the family 
to be there also to provide for those children. To be there to lead them to the greener pastures, to quiet places. That house should be that sanctuary. And we wish all of us, wish we had fathers that created a sanctuary. And sometimes instead of a sanctuary, we feel like it was pure hell. But let me tell you something. When we find ourselves there, we have to look to the Heavenly Father who really can shepherd us to the ultimate sanctuary. You get out here in four, he says, when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Malavet, the Hebrew term for the shadow of death, really is talking about deep darkness. And life has a way of taking us to the dark place. And when you're in the dark place, you want someone to walk with you. God has given the father to walk with the children, to be there with that family, to shepherd them through those dark places. Oftentimes, father may not know where to go the next step, but because he's being shepherded, he can shepherd others. And that is why it's so imperative that fathers are godly fathers and fathers are in tune with the heavenly father so he can impart to them the wisdom and insight to shepherd that family in those dark days of life because any of us who've been fathers we understand that there are days that we find ourselves in those dark days and moments and oftentimes we're wondering Lord how do I shepherd through this season how do I make it Lord I don't know I don't have the insight but Lord you know and I know if you are shepherding me and you are with me you will give me the ability to shepherd this family why because God is a good God like that he says, and I won't fear any evil because what? You are with me. Oh, I love that. I love it. I love it. The Lord is with us. He's that shepherd who's with us no matter what we go through. And life has dark moments and seasons. But he has the rod and the staff there. That's the corrective measures of our heavenly father as well as earthly fathers. Because we understand as being sheep, that metaphor there, if he's the shepherd, we're the sheep, that there are times correction is necessary in the context of being a father. That we can't allow things to run amok and God expects the father in the shepherdly capacity to nudge the child, to discipline and correct the child. He says that we should train up a child in the way they should go and when they're old they won't depart from. We have to provide loving, compassionate correction. And then sometimes we have to reach down with the staff and pull them out of the thicket, the mire, the thing that get, they get in because we shepherd them and we take them out of the thing they get in because as sheep, oftentimes they don't understand or recognize where they're going. That's why God does it for us so that we can do it for them. We all have been the recipient of the loving, loving nudging of God because he said those whom he loved, he chastened. And he has to sometimes reach down, though we're his children, and he has to pull us up out of the muck and the mire. Anybody ever had God to pull him out of some muck and mire? When God pulls you out of it, you are so thankful and appreciative of it. But he puts us back on the path of righteousness for his name. Say, God does this. Why? Because he is our shepherd. Yes, he is. And just as the Lord does that in the capacity of shepherd for us, fathers, we do it for our children. Yeah, we have to do it. 
We have to do it. It's a thankless job. Oftentimes, you're not going to be celebrated nor appreciated for what you do as a father. And there will always be someone who can find a deficiency in your leadership as a father. But nevertheless, you have to faithfully remain steadfast as a father. God gave us a perfect example with the nation of Israel. That's why they're called the children of Israel, because these are his children. And as they went through the wilderness, God was there providing for them. He said, I'm going to give you manna every morning to eat. He said, when you need a drink, I will give you water from the rock. He said, I'm going to ensure your clothes don't wear out, your sandals don't wear out. He says, you're going through this air region. He said, but better yet, I'm going to be that Shekinah glory that guides you as you go. But they still grumbled and complained about everything that the loving father did. As he was shepherding them through the dark days of life. And if they complained about the heavenly father, the shepherd, they will complain about the earthly shepherd but it does not negate the responsibility for the father. You still have the responsibility to shepherd. He gets down here in the latter part of this text, last two verses. After he has cared for them and comforted them, he says these last two things. This is the provision for them, and I want you to see it. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil. It lets us know that the Lord has a way of taking us in places where people may completely hate us. And though someone may completely hate us, he's still able to bless us in the context of complete hatred and animosity and animus. That it doesn't matter what is going on around you. God is the one who's sovereignly controlling your situation, leading you, and he blesses you no matter what is happening around you. He prepares a table, allow you to sit, to dine, to enjoy, and your enemies have to take a look, and there's nothing they can do about it. Because God is the one who is shepherding and guiding and protecting and nobody can alter nor change what God has for you. If God has decreed a blessing for you, nobody can take your blessing. And let me tell you something. Earthly fathers, you have to provide for families. That's what our responsibility is. Even in tough situations, People hating, hating on you, criticizing you as a father, throwing the statistics and you have to remember it doesn't matter. I'm going to prepare this table and I'm also going to provide because my shepherd is shepherding me and I'm going to shepherd the sheep that he has given under my jurisdiction. You have the responsibility. And the unique and interesting thing about it, it doesn't matter your economics or your ethnicity. Every father is going to have the same opposition. Doesn't matter. Roche proved it. All I have to do is go back and start at Genesis. And I can walk you through the text. Adam, Cain, Abel, Noah, Abraham, Lot, Moses. I can keep going down the list. And every father that God has called 
he had the same challenges and struggles. And we would not be exempt from them either. I, I like what he says here. and We're going to have to hurry through this text. He feeds, he provides. This is the provision. But he says, he anoints my head with oil. I love the beautiful imagery of this because in the Old Testament context in antiquity, oil was used for so many purposes. Medicinal purposes, we put the oil in wounds. and It was also used for refreshing someone after they had been on a long journey. The oil was put on the head for refreshing and making one glad, reviving their spirit. And so the oil was used for that purpose. In the New Testament context, fathers, we don't necessarily take oil and pour on the head of our kids, but we have a different oil that we have in the family context. And I'm convinced it's the oil of words of edification and words of encouragement. I'm convinced the one thing that we need more of in our families, we need the oil of words that build up our children, that encourage our children, that they know that they are highly favored. They are descendants of a holy God and that they can accomplish and achieve anything because the Lord is their shepherd. So often, kids hear too much derogatory statements words that tear them down instead of words that build them up and let them know that if God be for you, who can be against you? I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. This one thing I know, that God is with me and I will fear no man. You have to let your children know that God is on their side. Father, this is the all that we pour on their head in the 21st century, our speech. We got to give it to them. Why? Because our shepherd has poured the oil of gladness within our hearts, and we have to give it to our children. And we have to give it to them in abundance, let it overflow. We have to let it overflow. Why? Because they need the overflow. Because the overflow says, if I miss the spot, then that overflow is going to hit some other areas where we're missed. And so we have to give the overflow and not be so ready to bring up the areas of deficiency. One of the things that so often happens, I'm convinced with a lot of the fathers, because you have been the recipient of negative comments and criticism, it's difficult to give positive affirmation and to encourage with the word of God. But somehow you got to rise above the fray and remember that the Lord is your shepherd, that the Lord has been there providing for you and caring for you, that the Lord has comforted you, that the Lord restored your soul when your soul was depleted and you have to do the same for others. Why? Because the psalmist is writing this. you got to remember now, think about it. The psalmist, as he's writing this, I guarantee you he's reflecting over his life and thinking about all the things that he did that did not honor his God. The psalmist says, I remember when I plotted murder against Uriah. He said, I remember when I looked in lust after Bathsheba and I went to her, had her brought to me committed adultery. I gave Uriah 
his own death certificate and had him killed. He says, I remember when I was planning to kill Nabal and Abigail stepped in. My anger, my temper. I remember when my son Absalom tried to overthrow, did overthrow the throne and I had to flee for my life. He said, I remember I multiplied wives, should have had one, all the sins that I committed. He said, but God forgave me of my sin. He threw them behind me and allowed me to go forth in his strength. And I don't want to remember them, so I have to extend grace because I have been the recipient of the grace and mercy of God. Anybody know what I'm talking about this morning? And see, then we don't bring it up and be reminding people of it. That's the thing we have to do. We have to keep pressing forward. Do not allow fathers. Listen to me, fathers. I want you to hear me. Do not allow anyone to continue to bring up your failures in the past. Do you hear me this morning? If you listen to me by live stream, listen to me. Do not allow anyone to bring up your failures in the past. Because if God has forgiven you, you have to forgive yourself and you have to go on in the strength of the Lord. We have to let it go. There's no manual that tells us every step of how to love, how to do it right. And even if it were, we still would fail because we've seen so many great crowd of witness before us that has failed. But God has been gracious to us. And fathers, I want to encourage you, keep pressing forth in the strength of the Lord. Here it is. He concludes here in verse six. He says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I, I love this. I love it. And the reason why I love it is because. As we go through life, we need some goodness, goodness and mercy. Because we know. There are times we didn't want goodness and mercy. We knew we were rejecting the goodness and mercy God was trying to give. We weren't seeking it. But instead, God was there shepherding us as we were in rebellion, denial, downright unconcerned about right things. But God's goodness and mercy was following us all the way. All the days of our life. And we have to thank God for that. And the same goodness and mercy that we were the recipients of, we have to grant to our children. As fathers. Yeah. Yeah, we have to. Why? Because we understand that one day we're going to be in the house of the Lord and that's where we're going to dwell. The psalmist is looking eschatologically. He's looking to the future because he recognized. He said, my time here and time is just limited. He says, I'm looking forward to one day that I'm going to get a glorified body. He said, this mortality will put on immortality. He said, this old earthly nature will be transformed. That metamorphosis is going to take place. He said, I won't have to worry about all the things that has happened here in time. He said, I will get a new body, a new home. He said, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Oh, he looks forward to it because he said, I look at my life. He said, I look at what I've had to endure in time. He said, but I don't have to remain here because God has something better 
more magnificent, more splendor in all of his majesty and all of his radiant glory. He said, God has something better for me. Anybody glad that it's just not what we have in time? That God one day going to transform us and take us to a better place than this. Oh, we got to give him glory for it. And so fathers, I want to encourage you, man. I want to encourage you to be an encouragement to others. For those of you who are saying, Roche, you know, I, it's a rough day for me. Let me tell you something. Look to the Heavenly Father when your earthly father fails you. Look to him. Because even those of us who've had good earthly fathers, we still will grumble and complain about something. Yeah. Because it is within our being to find the need to blame. One last illustration, I'm going to go. If you go back to the Garden of Eden and you look at Adam and Eve, the Bible lets us know that God created the heavens and earth and he placed Adam and Eve in the garden. And after everything that he created, he used the Hebrew term tov. It is good. He placed them in the Garden of Eden. It's a perfect environment. No sin. Fruit. They get a fresh drink from the water. But the best thing about the Garden of Eden, outside of there's no sin, plenty of food to eat, refreshing, they can lay down. It is the true Psalms 23, minus the sin, is that they have God's very presence in the garden. Stay with me. He just walks in the garden in the cool of the day. They have beautiful cornelia fellowship. And in spite of all of this, the man and the woman rebelled against the holy God. Yeah. Adam and Eve couldn't say, well, my dad wasn't there. That's why I dropped out of school. My dad wasn't there. That's why I committed this crime. My dad wasn't there. That's why I committed murder. My dad wasn't there. That's why I began to be promiscuous. My dad wasn't there. That's why I didn't finish high school and college. At the core of all of humanity is one thing. Men love darkness rather than light. And even in a perfect environment, men went against God. All of humanity stands before God without an excuse. We have to decide do we want holiness or unrighteousness? God says, I sit before you, good and evil. You choose this day. Our impact fact for today is this, and I want you to see it. Very important, fathers. Fathers are divinely ordained to care and comfort their family as a shepherd does for his sheep. He says the shepherd lay down his life for the sheep. Fathers have to lay down their life 
The shepherd leads the sheep. Keeps them, comforts them, carries them. Retrieves them from danger. Leaves the 99 to go get the one. That's the responsibility of the father. Fathers, I want to challenge and encourage you. Shepherd the family that God has given to you. If you believe that, let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning. Father, we love you. We thank you for your mercy, for your grace, and for your compassion, and for your kindness. Lord, we are truly the sheep of your pasture. Lord, we've fallen short as fathers. We know that. But Lord, we are so thankful that you have granted us mercy and grace. Strengthen us. Lord, I'm so thankful that you write straight with crooked lines. God, you take all of our imperfections and you accomplish your will so that you receive the glory. I pray for every father who is listening, that you encourage their hearts, strengthen them and remind them that, Lord, you love them and you're with them. And Lord God, that we should continue to look to you for how to better shepherd the sheep that you have entrusted to us. Strengthen fathers today and help them, Lord, to stand in the calling, the divinely calling that you have ordained. May, Lord God, we not waver and we faithfully execute the task, no matter how egregious, difficult, or adverse it may become. May we not look back but hold faithfully to the plow that you've given us. Lord, for whatever you do, we will give you praise, we give you glory and honor. We love you. We ask it all in the mighty, majestic name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. I want to thank you for watching us via live stream. Join us here at Impact Church. If you haven't placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, but you want to get to know him, there's a link you can click and you can come to know our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We want you to connect with us. We want to show you how you can also grow in your relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So reach out to us so we can reach out to you and keep you connected and help you progress with a thriving relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Also, please subscribe to our YouTube channel, our Facebook and Instagram. We want to keep you connected here at Impact Church where we're proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ for time and eternity. Have a blessed evening, blessed day, and thank you so much for watching our service at Impact Church at Wilkins. Thank you.